Welcome to the Junior Year, Episode 23 of the Horror Pod Class. My name is Tyler, and I am the Editor-in-Chief of Signal Horizon, a magazine dedicated to exploring horror in and out of the classroom. When I'm not managing Signal Horizon, I'm a teacher at a local high school here in Kansas City, Missouri, and tonight I am joined by, as I am joined by every night, the Monster Ambassador here at Signal Horizon, award-winning writer Oren Gray. Hey there. Hey, hey. Tonight, we are going to talk about what we've been watching and reading, discuss some free content on the internet, and finally conclude with an in-depth discussion of the movie Gags the Clown as it pertains to cosmic horror. So, we're still in quarantine, Oren, <laughs> Oren and I've started to eat my earlobes or, uh, you know, various bits of my body, not because I'm hungry, but because I'm so fucking bored that it's something to do. So, uh, yeah, man. Uh, what have you been watching and reading, uh, and doing to try to pass all of the quarantine boredom? Uh, so let's see. I just watched, uh, I've rewatched cause I've seen it before the, the howling three, which is the one with the marsupial werewolves. Oh um, yeah, dude, that's a weird. I love that. Oh god, it's so weird. It's, and the reason I rewatched it was because I got hired to do this list of werewolf movies for Ranker, and um, and so I was doing it, and they had to be like werewolf movies that didn't have traditional werewolves in them. Mm. Um, and okay. so like, so most of them are like, uh, are stuff like you know people who are feral or something, and they don't you know they're they're not they don't actually turn into a wolf. Um, and some of the and okay. some of them are like fake out ones, like Scream of the Wolf, this uh, TV movie with Peter Graves, written by Richard Matheson, where like it turns out it's like a guy who trained a wolf to kill people, um, <laughs> okay. and stuff like that. So like most of them are stuff like that. But I was like, well, you know, the the ones in Howling Three, they're they're weird enough; they'll count, you know. Um, but yeah. but as I was like reading about it again to to write the the list, I was like, oh my god, this movie is so weird. And so then I had to watch it again. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, if I remember correctly, and it's been a while, uh, they have pouches, yeah, right? Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. You you can see a werewolf give birth to uh, fairly graphically to a little like puppet thingy that like then crawls up her into her pouch. Of course. Um, yeah. And that's not even the weird like, not even the weird part. <laughs> that's not even the weird. Such part. That's a just... weird movie. That happens five minutes into the film, and it's very, very normal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, like, and it's it's such a very weird movie and such a very political movie. Again, we were talking about many times. Now we've talked about how political movies are, and like, this is a movie that's about like, uh, like it, it's about like genocide and reparations to oh, to shit. people because like because right. like werewolves are a separate species of human, essentially. Um, okay. and they've been, uh, like at the end of the movie, they get an amnesty declared and like werewolves get reparations for all the damage humans have done to them over the years. Like wow. that is legitimately right. a thing that happens in Howling 3. It's a weirdly ambitious movie. <laughs> I love that. I love that. I'll have to, uh, go and revisit yeah, it. And like, I, uh, so strange. I, <laughs> I, I briefly got into collecting and I still kind of am collecting VHS. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we, we have good friends that are big into oh, yeah. the kind of the VHS game as it is. But there are a handful of particular movies that are really difficult to find uh, on VHS and thus command a ton of money. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if it's the Howling 2 or Howling 3 that there are like eight copies available <laughs> on the face of the planet. So it's like a thousand dollars to get a to get all. I, of I don't know. Movies, I, so. I know that until the blu-ray release howling 2 was really hard to get a hold of in any form yeah i bet um, i bet so that, that was might have it, been it. yeah because uh, i i yeah. know like i don't think the howling 2 got a traditional dvd release i think it got like packaged in a, a set or something one time but i don't think it got like a standalone dvd huh. release okay. i don't think um I, 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 but i know it was hard to come by because i hadn't seen it 
until the Blu-ray came out. Like, I'd seen most of the others at one time or another, but I'd never seen two until the Blu-ray came out. Okay. So, um, how did you watch The Howling 3? If if somebody else wants to find a oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> politically motivated kangaroo slash werewolf film, uh, where is where is the place that they could check okay, it out? Okay, so it's on Amazon Prime, actually. I watched... Awesome! I, I, have, a blue, I, have, I have the Blu-ray, but it's on Amazon Prime. Um, there's two versions on Amazon Prime. One of them is in high def and the other one's not. So uh, if you if okay. you are listening and want to watch The Howling 3, watch the one that's just called Howling 3 and doesn't have the subtitle The Marsupials. Okay. That will be the that will be the high def one is the one without the subtitle. <laughs> awesome. So if you wanted to watch The Birth in high def <laughs> and subsequent snuggling in the pouch, then uh, yeah, you can check it out on Amazon Prime. That was The Howling 3 uh, that you could find on Amazon Prime. Very good. Well, speaking of other stuff on Amazon Prime, have you heard of a movie called Antrim? At all? I have, and I did not realize it was on Prime, so I'm about to add it to my list. <laughs> yeah, it uh, it's really interesting. Um, so, admittedly, like uh, I try to catch... Uh, a couple hours worth of genre stuff every day and I snuck this one in while I was like listening to debate cases and you know doing all kinds of stuff and the first 20 minutes feels like a very found footage kind of thing Mm -hmm. it's got a lot of talking heads and it's got a lot of like uh, a lot of graphics that you have to read you know like it's it's it feels very formulaic in that way. But then like, I would say the last hour of the film is an actual movie made to look like it was created in the 1970s. The, the long story short, the kind of log line from Amazon prime is rumored to have been lost. Antrim appears as a cursed film from the 1970s. Viewers are warned to proceed with caution. It's said to be the story of a young boy and a girl who enter the forest to save the soul of their recently deceased pet. They journey to the Antrim, the very spot of the devil landed after being cast out of heaven. There, the children begin to dig a hole to hell. It, uh, yeah, it, it, it's clever. And I'm, I'm also reading it about, you know, at the same time I'm reading, um, that anthology of (laughs) short stories Mm -hmm. about scary, scary films, you know? And I think that kind of cursed film idea is... I, it feels like it's it's very omnipresent in genre stuff, mm-hmm. um, but I, I found it very clever and creative and had a ton of kind of what the fuck to it. So <laughs> yeah, you will be shocked to learn that I heard about it from Eli at Analog. Like oh, yeah, all right, surprising, great. Yeah, no, like I totally get it. Like yeah, it feels right up his alley in that. I, we haven't had too many conversations, but like there is a lot of, I would say big W weird in this film. And you know, that's, that, that's a, that's a fun place to visit. I don't know if I'd want to live there, but it, uh, it's totally worth it. So, uh, yeah, if you like that kind of cursed film idea, then, then, then that's, that's your thing. Anything else, uh, that, uh, has kind of tripped your trigger this week. I really, I've been pretty busy this week, honestly. I haven't done a lot, um, a lot of stuff that wasn't for work, so. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of the same way. I'm uh, tediously making my way through some stuff. We, we had talked just off mic. I finally finished Breaking Bad, which is not genre-related at all, but it's, you know, it's really awesome. So uh, I, I know I'm the guy that discovered it, uh, but you all should check it out. No, for real. Uh, it was it was very entertaining. So, okay. Well, moving quickly along tonight, then our dark corners of the web comes from the one and only um, Brian Evanson. Have you read a lot of Brian Evanson? I actually haven't read as much as a lot of other people seem to have. Um, I've read some, uh, but yeah. That's um, all of the writing staff here at Signal Horizon absolutely like loves his stuff, and I'm I'm just I'm in the same boat you are. I'm very limited. Yeah, like what, what uh, I've read, I've liked, but I've not like yes. I've not like sat and really like dug into it. Yeah, yeah, I'm the same way. Like it, you know, 
It's good. I haven't read any of his single author collections. All of my writing staff right now are like, you're a terrible, <laughs> awful editor. You know, what are you doing? So it's great stuff. But I can speak specifically to this free piece of literature that we have. It's from peopleholding.com. And it's called A True Friend. It's not very long. I would say it was probably under 2,000 words. Um, and it is written from the perspective of... Do you know what a memento mori is? Yeah. Yeah, like uh, it's written from the perspective of a guy who, like, I assume back in the old days, uh, took photos of, like, dead people and made them uh, look alive, you know? Interesting. And I, I totally dig that as a horror concept because it's so fucking creepy and weird as a concept to our modern sensibilities. And it reminded me of. Do you remember that movie we saw at Panic Fest? Yeah, yeah. I was gonna say there was the there was the photographer segment of um, Nightmare Radio. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nightmare Radio, which which I thought was really an uneven film for an anthology film, mm-hmm. but probably the strongest vignette or one of the strongest vignettes was one of the first ones. It was all about that. Yep. It was you know, like essentially a little girl who's studying to be one of those funeral photographers like her dad is one or something yeah yeah and he's like you need to do this and they kind of go through some of the the tricks to make them look more alive like Mm -hmm. how they like get their mouths to stay open and how they get their eyes to stay open it's and i found it uh very creepy and scary and a little bit ooey gooey (laughs) and yeah if you're looking good yeah. If you're looking for a great companion piece to that, then check out uh, this little little short story. It will not take you a super long time to get your way through it, but it's uh, called A True Friend by Brian Evanson. And a particular hat tip to Mike, who uh, used to be on the Horror Podcast, and another one of our uh, writers, Richard Gerlock, who uh, all... We're like, you need to check out this story. We think you'd like it. And they were not incorrect. So. I'm, I have to take a second because I, I clicked on the link and and I'm fascinated by this this online magazine that it's in, this people peopleholding.com, because apparently it is short fiction inspired by photograph old photographs of people holding things. No shit. Yeah. So like if you, if you go to the if you go to the link for the story and then you click on like just the masthead for the magazine, it has like a little like people holding short fiction on the lives in found photos of people holding anything. Wow. <laughs> which, what a which fucking is, weird Which is such thing. a weird and specific uh you know logline for yeah. a magazine. Like that's fascinating to me. <laughs> Well, and I'm. I, it looks like they are seasonal, right? Looks, looks like, like they it. produce four issues a year, and Brian Evanson shows up quite a bit. Um, but what a fucking weird concept! Yeah. And if you look at all of these um, photographs that they chosen, maybe it's just because I know Brian Evanson, <laughs> but I also think. Old photographs of any kind are a little unsettling. Yeah, this is some unsettling shit. Yeah, you know this is this is uh, I don't know makes me feel a little uncomfortable. Even with this, uh, like in September of two thousand seventeen, <laughs> um, it's just like she appears happy and she's holding two ice cream cones. I still think it's fucked up. Yeah, <laughs> like it's still... I, I think she's like she's holding too many ice cream cones is part of it. Like. There's something there's something yeah. precipitous about the number of ice cream cones she's holding. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> something yeah. something bad's about to happen. Right, right. <laughs> or like I, all of these like necessitate you asking a question, right. right? Even if that question is like, "What the fuck is going on?" Like, there's this lady posing on a fire hydrant. You know, <laughs> like it's like, what is? Yeah, this? and it's like it's right? clearly like someone trying to do a glamour shoot, but they're just in their like front yard. Yeah, it's so right. weird. But you know, photographs yeah. are weird. Yes, and I these in particular. <laughs> yeah, how great! So check out peopleholding.com. Uh, 
because there's a whole lot going on there. I'm not exactly <laughs> sure what it is, but yeah. Yeah, I think uh, our fellow lovers of the weird stuff might uh, have a heyday with it. So, All right, man. I think it is time to approach our central question for today. So today, our central question is, what can Gags the Clown teach us about the concept of cosmic horror? God, you're kidding me. Get all of us on camera. But earlier this week, we had an unwanted visitor. That's right, a clown. Clown was first spotted one week ago. Images of a mysterious person in a dingy clown suit with black balloons. What can either be seen as an attempt at entertaining citizens or terrorizing them. While some find it to be harmless, good-natured fun, others are troubled. You know he's up to no good. Those original gags photos are just... Creepy. 911, what's your emergency? Yeah, I was just chased up the stairs to my apartment by a clown. That clown's gonna pop like one of those black balloons. Crazy dude, he's been hunting gags all night. Someone with the intent of killing him? That's a one in a million exclusive. That's worldwide news. This is bigger than we thought. And the feet is cut. Oh, thank God. Something exciting to report on in this city. There's a clown in town. He's waiting around. This whole damn city is clown crazy. It's just a guy in a clown suit, right? Blah, blah, blah. Okay, so before I ask you about your general thoughts on this film, Warren, I'll give you the not-so-brief Rotten Tomatoes summary <laughs> of it. A small city in Wisconsin is terrorized by a mysterious clown who roams the streets late at night with nothing more than a handful of black loop balloons. The local news station scrambled to break the story on who he is and what he wants, while a group of high schoolers see the clown's arrival as an excuse to create a little trouble themselves. The police try to maintain order in a city that has gone clown crazy, and a conservative podcast host vows to put up a, put a stop to the clown known as Gags while broadcast, broadcasting his clown hunt on social media for the world to see. All right, so we're going to ring that spoiler bell. Okay, you suffered through that summary and my inability to read well, wait, for, it. Tell no, me. No, no, no. But yeah. Before we even get to that, it's Green Bay. They're in Green yeah, Bay. Like, yeah, yeah. like why, why is it a small city, Rotten Tomatoes? It's Green Bay. I mean, Green right, Bay's not a huge right. city. I get that, but it's like it's like Green Bay. It's the the famous city in Wisconsin. Just call it by its name. <laughs> yeah, it's got to be in the top like they, five or six. They, I would they imagine they call it by its name yeah. all the time in the movie. Like right. they say the name over and over again. Yeah, yeah, and it, and by all accounts in the movie, it's pretty good size. Yeah, I mean, you know? it's not like tiny. I, like, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, but it's Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah. yeah anyway, sorry. Moving so, on. Just. So talk to us uh, about your experience, you know, uh, seeing the film the first time, what you thought about it generally before we kind of get to the specifics. So I saw it the first time, I believe the same time you did, um, which was uh, at Panic Fest like one year ago, right? I want to say. Mm-hmm. Um, so not, not, yeah. not this last one, but the one before that. Um, and... Uh, it, you know, I, I really liked it. Um, it was not one I was expecting to like, actually, because, like, I, I kind of expected it to be more like another movie I think I saw that same year, uh, which was, uh, Terrifier. Yeah. Which is like yes. a killer clown movie that's real gory and, like, super low budget shot on video kind of stuff. It's not shot on video, but that, that kind of aesthetic. Yeah. Um, and that, that's more what I was expecting gags to be, which is not really my jam, you know? Um, yeah. And, you know, gags was instead this like very surreal movie, um, that like really just really surprised me. I really liked, uh, and that was also like the year where every movie had balloons in it. So that was strange on its, <laughs> strange on its own, on its own merits. But, um, yeah, I really, I really dug it in the theater and, uh, 
a lot of the stuff that I know we're going to talk about tonight and that, that I wrote about uh, for Signal, um, about it, like, occurred to me as I was watching it, but I just didn't have the the resources then to write it down because I didn't I hadn't taken notes while I was watching the movie because I wasn't planning to review it or anything. Um, and so I didn't have any of the reference I would need, but I've been, I've been thinking about it all this time, uh, you know, on and off, so... Yeah, I think it, uh, my response was kind of the same that yours was. Um, and to juxtapose it with the, the Terrifier, I think, is a really smart uh, and interesting take because I fucking hated Terrifier. Yeah, I mostly did, too. I hated it. <laughs> I, uh, and it's just not my, my cup of tea, you know? I don't, I, like, sometimes you like a good slasher. I get that, and there's value in that, and there's interesting things to say about it but i found terrifier to be really mean-spirited and not in any kind of interesting way yeah. like th- there is a scene where he essentially like cuts a, a woman uh, like down the center right? yeah and by uh, essentially he means exactly that right yeah yeah <laughs> and like i was i think my wife was like out with uh, her sister and i was home in in my like ten year old son happened to walk through the room during that part and he was like, oh, oh, we're doing this today, you know? And I was like, and normally like I don't give a shit. Like he's more than welcome to watch anything that I sit through. But it was like the first time I think probably ever that I was watching something and I was like, ah, I don't know. I kind of feel like it's my fatherly duty to be like, maybe don't watch this, you know? <laughs> like. Yeah, and, I mean, and that made me feel. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, it was it was definitely like it was definitely a movie that was reaching for, like the more, um, the the sleazier, more exploitative slashers like Maniac and those kinds of movies, but I feel like it didn't have. It didn't have anything to say about it. Like it was it yeah. was reaching for yeah. that, but it it didn't do anything with like it didn't have any kind of social critique or anything, and so it came across as just actually being like sleazy and misogynist instead of exactly. aping that. And I don't think that was like, I don't, I don't know that the, the, I'm not trying to say that the filmmakers were, but I think the film just kind of felt that way to me. And so I, I didn't like it. I didn't go for it. Um, and I, yeah. Yeah. And it, there was some good stuff in it. Like the, the guy, who, the performer who played the clown, it was amazing, but um, yeah. And he's a genuinely, I think part of the reason why it feels so mean spirited. And so, gross right yeah. right it's because he's so good yeah like if he's ap and campy and doing his own thing right then yeah. it's a different film but he's so fucking scary yeah he's so uh spot on when it comes to that particular thing that it it gives it an edge yeah you know yep yeah and so yeah and that was definitely not my thing which i saw that same year i think um, yeah, yeah. But like, yeah. but that was what I was expecting gags to be, and it super mm-hmm. isn't that. No, not at all. It doesn't want to be that way. Yeah. It doesn't intend to be that way. And here's the thing: as we start to talk about cosmic horror, I don't think that the writers or directors, some of which have some really great connections to the film scene here in Kansas City, which I think is great. I think one of the writers is actually the editor on. Jill Gavargzian's new uh, film, oh, which looks great. Awesome. Yeah. Nice. I think his name is John Pata. And, uh, like, I, I don't think that they were ginormous cosmic horror people or everything that they put in Gags the, the Clown that we're going to talk about was intentional. But I think when you craft a story that is the way that it is, <laughs> in that a lot of the violence is off scene or off screen. It uh, is less about the the physical violence of Gags the Clown and more the like epistemological violence. Right. If that's yeah, a thing. Yeah. Absolutely. Right? right. No, I think that's a perfect word for it, actually. Um, because like it's not just violence to individual people; it is violence to our concept of reality. Mm. And yeah. that's right. That's right. epistemology, right? It's our it's the 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 study of truth. And gags like does violence to the concept of truth. Yeah. Um, well, in in, in <laughs> much like in and maybe you said this in what I think is a pretty phenomenal write up uh, that I'll link to here um, in Signal Horizon. Like it 
in much the same way that we puncture balloons throughout this film, it punctures that veneer of truth, you know, right. that that veneer of reality a handful of times. And the the film is most successful when it kind of leans into that idea, right. you know? And, like, one of the things, so, one of the really interesting things it does, and we may be getting ahead of ourselves here, is that, like, it not only does that to, like accepted reality right but it also does it to like genre reality because um because like i I do kind of get into this in the in the column a little bit or in the article i wrote a little bit that it's really easy to read most of gags as just a ghost story because it gives you all these clues that like oh this this uh, the circus burned down, and the clown was in the circus. Here's a photograph of him from like 1970. Yeah, yeah. So it could. It, it's very easy for it to just be a ghost, except that it doesn't. It doesn't behave the way a haunting normally behaves either. He, he doesn't right. appear to have a concrete goal. Um, there's no way to lay him to rest. There's no fetters. Like there's no reason he appears where he does that you're ever given. Yep. Like if if. If you had been given this reveal near the end that, like, oh, this abandoned factory that they're at was built on the site where the circus burned down or something, right? That would make it feel connected and cozy in this sort of standard genre way. But you're never given that. It just shows up there for no reason. Yeah. (laughs) There is is no connecting of that loop. Right. So... And, and it, so you're you're given all these like genre clues, and then they never mesh together to make a to make that sort of cozy, comfortable story. Yeah, <laughs> and and that leads to that general of discomfort. So before we get into a lot of the connections of cosmic horror, I think we need to get some sort of working definition for what we think of when we think of of cosmic horror and I'll link to a couple of articles that kind of discuss some ideas and concepts about Mm -hmm. what, what cosmic horror is, but, uh, you're the writer, you know, (laughs) yep. You've done this stuff on a a regular basis. I'm just some asshole with a microphone. So when you, as a horror writer, think and discuss what, cosmic horror is what are some of the ideas and concepts that come to your mind yeah so i think um to some extent like cosmic horror is a term that gets used somewhat interchangeably with weird fiction which it probably shouldn't but um but it does and uh and i don't think either one of them have a sort of 100 percent agreed upon concrete definition um, it's kind of like folk horror where, or, you know, the, the, the old saw about pornography, we'll know it when we see it. Right, um, exactly. Yeah. And, uh, you know, um, and I, and, and I think that's true for a, a lot of the time, but like normally with cosmic horror, we kind of go back to, uh, the definitions that Lovecraft used for it, which was that it was horror that involved an interruption of, uh, natural law was supernatural horror. Any supernatural horror involves an interruption of, of natural law, but cosmic horror went further in that it was about, like, the suspension of natural law, right? That that natural law did not actually work the way we thought it did, or that our understanding of it was flawed, or whatever. And, um, you know, I argue in the piece I wrote that, that Lovecraft's version of cosmic horror typically worked by decentering humans from the equation, like our our understanding of the universe is inherently anthropos anthropic man, hu- anthropocentric. Anthropocentric. You thank you. Um, it's my turn not to be able to talk. Um, <laughs> and you know when you when you decenter us from that, which which when Lovecraft was writing, science was doing to a large extent. Right, we were we were learning mm-hmm. about evolution. We were learning about quantum physics and things like that for the first time. And so. Um, we were learning that we were not the center of the universe and we weren't, you know, we weren't unique. We weren't special. Um, right. and, and that was kind of the, it, it decentered human experience. Um, yeah. And, and placed us in as just, you know, just another, uh, to take it, you know, take it further into what I think Ligotti did with it. We were, we were just kind of a cosmic accident. 
Yeah. Um, you know. Well, we, and in in that piece, you talk a ton about Thomas Ligotti, which, uh, you know, Mike Denham, uh, another <laughs> past writer and co-host of the Horror Podcast, totally digs. But I think that kind of highlights. And you stop me if I if I'm wrong. No. Because go ahead. I, I'm not as I'm certainly not as well versed here, but it in the grand scheme of like cosmic dread or cosmic horror. I feel like there's like a bifurcation here where some of cosmic horror deals with the fact that like we just aren't important, that there is this other thing that is bigger or more profound or more, uh, at least in the, the terms of Lovecraft, like more evolutionarily derived, you know, mm-hmm. or whatever. Um, and I, I kind of, think about those things in term of the sublime, right? Because right. at least with the Lovecraft that I have read, there is this like moment where you encounter a God, right? And it, it drives you insane because you're confronted with this, this sublime nature of this thing that is so much more powerful and so much more, um, I, I don't complex. I, don't know. I mean, fundamentally right. yes. just complex than you. Yeah. Right, right. And and so the type of movie that I think deals with that, we had um, Nadia Bolkin on um, last season, and we talked about uh, The Dark Song. Mm-hmm. A, dark a Dark Song, song. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, which I fucking love. That film is fantastic, but it presents the relationship to humans in a, a softer kind of way in that you're confronted with this thing that might drive you crazy or you can't totally grasp, but it is, I think juxtaposed to a Lagadian view, which is like, I guess it's more evolved. It's more complex, but at the end of the day, it just doesn't fucking matter. You know, like you just aren't important. It's not, you know, like where you are, doesn't matter in terms of you understanding in the least bit because nobody gives a fuck if you understand or not. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, and I, I am admittedly like, I've seen several people react and I'm really happy about this react to my, uh, article positively who know Ligotti much better than I do because I am, I am a dilettante when it comes to Ligotti's fiction. I've read quite a bit of it, but I have not studied it intensely. I haven't read all of it, you know. Um, like, I know Lovecraft pretty well. There are definitely people who know it better, but I've read all of his stuff at some point. Um, Ligotti, that's not the case. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I'm glad to see that I, I didn't fuck it up, <laughs> at <laughs> least so far. But, um, but yeah, like... Uh, I think I think fundamentally, like if you had to reduce cosmic horror down to like a one sentence log line, it would be in all of its forms that the universe does not care about you. Yeah. One way or the other. Now, um, you know, for some in some cases, this is just because you are not significant enough for the universe to care about you. And in Lagatti's case, it's the universe doesn't care about anything. The universe, yeah, the universe yeah. cannot care. It's just a series of chemical accidents happening yeah over and over and that's all there is to it like there's no there is no meaning to be found i i think that as a concept so the guys over at weird studies have talked specifically about that idea Mm -hmm. and i what i find really interesting okay if the nature of the world is simply that it doesn't care about anything right right does doesn't that make the inherent nature of the world evil in that we say things that have a sense of empathy that like have a sense of understanding, have a, you know, all of these things that we associate with good things and positive things. The opposite of that being, you know, uh, antipathy, right. Or I don't know, at least when you and I talk politics, we talk about how, you know, one political side (laughs) lacks empathy, right. As a bad thing. So does that make a Lagadian vision of the world then that like nature is inherently evil? And I guess it depends on like how you define evil. Like if if you define evil as a lack of empathy full stop, then sure. If you define empathy as a lack of empathy where empathy is possible, 
Like, okay. you know, the other political party could have empathy. They're humans just like us. Right, and they, right. it is possible for them to have empathy, and they, they don't. Right? But okay. the universe can't. The universe is, in, in this Lagadian view, right? The universe, the universe is not an intelligent thing. It's not, it has no sentience. Only humans have sentience. And that's an accident and a curse that makes us miserable. Because we know, <laughs> because we want meaning and know there isn't any. But yeah. nothing else knows oh, that. Man. Like nothing. Yeah, yeah. The universe, the universe is just cause and effect. It's not. It's it's just. Um, it's like a tidal wave, or uh, you know, it, uh, if it's a it's, it's a, me- it's it's a meteor reaction. hitting hitting yeah. a planet, you know, is that evil? It's just it's just that's just how it happened. You know, it, it, it's it didn't do it on purpose. It didn't yeah. want to. It didn't not want to. It didn't want. Yeah. Um, so it's 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 a little like the uh, like the Platonic question of ought, right? Like uh, Plato and, and Socrates right. argue uh, ought only implies the ability to do something, right? Ought implies can. So you would never say you ought to save that drowning guy if you yourself cannot swim. You know. <laughs> right. So like we we can't say that the inherent uh, nature of nature is evil when there isn't an inherent nature of nature. Yeah, yeah. when when, when right, it doesn't right. have a choice, like it doesn't have an option. Like for for most most of the time, we don't like we don't think of animals as evil, even when they hurt someone. Right, even animals, yeah. let, let alone natural phenomena like lightning. Like if someone if someone gets electrocuted by a live wire, we don't blame either the wire or the electricity. Um, sure we do god damn that alternating <laughs> current ah. and oh, so yeah, like yeah. and so i think we don't typically think of evil as having as as being something that lacks volition right e- evil okay. requires decision making normally but i don't know that like i don't know that it should necessarily if we're having like if we're having a discussion about like Lagadian cosmic horror the fact that the universe exists and isn't caring maybe that is evil maybe that's the only evil that can exist in that conception mm. of reality where nothing has any volition except humans yeah well <laughs> and it and if the very nature of nature right the very nature of existence is this antipathy right, right. Uh, or you know whatever that within itself is fucking dark right, right? Like, yeah you know the the root of where we come from is this uncaring existence yeah yeah that's fucked man <laughs> Yeah, particularly when I'm I've been stuck in my house for six weeks. You know, well, like, like I I, genu- <laughs> I genuinely pick I genuinely pick gags because I felt like it would actually feel weirdly appropriate in the middle of this quarantine. Like, I, even though it's not it's not like a it's not an outbreak movie or anything like that, but I feel like it's like it's just sort of incessant dread eating inward would feel really uh, just really on point right now. <laughs> Yeah, well, and it's, like, the really cool thing about this movie, right? One of the things that I liked about this movie is that it it gives us this newscast, right? And it it gives us these uh, social media outlets that are all kind of doing their own thing. And there is no unifying point of view in the film, right? So everybody is experiencing this phenomenon at the same time but fundamentally different. Right. Right. Yeah. So in that way, it feels exactly like COVID-19. Right. right? Like I can listen to fucking, you know, Cuomo's press conference <laughs> and, and feel like I am experiencing that with lots of other people, but I'm certainly not experiencing the same thing that people in New York are. God damn. I'm not even experiencing the same shit that somebody is uh, you know, six houses down from me. right. So and it, we are a part of this big thing, but all going through it separately. And um, just like the people in gags all react to gags differently, uh, both both like react the way you're talking about, where like it impacts them differently, but also like their perception is different. Mm-hmm. So like we can listen to uh, uh, a press conference from Cuomo or or god forbid the you know white house um and we'll hear something very different than a person who is part of that person's base like 
Sure. You know, a, a really died in the wool Republican would hear a very different press conference than we will right now. Yeah. Um, no, you, you're 100%. Yeah. And, and then, you know, in that same way, like everybody perceives this threat from gags completely differently. Like some of them, some of them see it as not a threat. Some of them see it as like funny or even like appealing. Um, yeah. And some of them see it as like ridiculous and not like below their scorn. Like they, they shouldn't even be bothering with it. Whereas others see it as, you know, actually like an existential threat, like to, to go and do something about. Yeah. <laughs> I think uh, you're... Hold on just a second. No problem. <laughs> I hear a baby. <laughs> hey, Jack. Jack. Keep that baby uh, quiet. I don't know what they were talking about, but they were having a big, long conversation. Yeah, and, and I think you're 100% right. Like, the teenagers, you know, almost make light of it, right? Right. And if we're extending out that metaphor we made about the quarantine, like, there was this big movement, I guess, on TikTok and fucking Instagram or wherever else my, you know, zoomiest of Zoomer children... <laughs> Uh, frequent where like people were like licking toilets and like coughing on each other, you know, and like it was all the like thumb their nose at this, like, you know, what what they perceive to be this fake threat when in all reality, now we know certainly some of those people have gotten the disease and it has had a larger impact than some people would have thought. Yeah. 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 I think so now that we have like a baseline understanding of, cosmic horror we have a baseline understanding of what the film is doing you know within itself how does gags the clown reference or connect to this sense of of cosmic horror then is is he lovecraftian do you think i mean i i don't think he's lovecraftian in the usual sense because again i think he's more he's more this like legatian interpretation where like it's it's surreal it's not it doesn't make sense and it it defies a search for meaning yeah okay good um, i like that you know and and so um i think in that in that regard it is um it is that sort of cosmic horror like i think a lot of a lot Lovecraft was really focused on a kind of a, a naturalistic strain of cosmic horror that was very much like uh, scientific discovery is going to displace humans from their exalted position within the cosmos. But um, since that time, uh, partly just because of the the discoveries we've made in science and the ways our thinking has changed, um, that kind of of disassociation of, of humans being central to the cosmos doesn't shock us anymore because we kind of all already know that. And so a lot of, a lot of things, some of us right? know that. Um, and so, <laughs> but I mean, even the ones of us who don't know that, like kind of do like the assumption is built into our society in a way that it wasn't back then. Right. Like, It would be like, uh, you know, le- learning that the world wasn't flat or something, right? Like, sure. now, even flat earther people, they are, they're situated as a resistance, which means that in the back right. of their head, they have socialized knowledge that the earth is not flat. Sure. And they're resisting that knowledge. But, you know, that's that, that repositions it on an epistemological framework. Sure. Um, and so I, so I think that, like, I think we all kind of have this kind of in the back of our heads that we're just, we're just very smart animals on a very small planet in a very big universe. And <laughs> yeah, so being told yeah. that isn't terrifying on its, in itself. But I think, like, a lot of people who have tried to do cosmic horror since Lovecraft have dealt with things like um, the annihilation of the self, like... Mm-hmm. Um, dealing with stuff like, uh, you know, like the Theseus's boat problem, um, which is, you know, if, if we replace, like, where, where is the self? What is it made of? Um, if all of our cells regenerate every seven years or however often, 
are we in fact still the same person we were? Um, you know, things like that. Like, I think, I think, um, we've moved away from sort of this more naturalistic science. I don't want to say not scientific, but this more, we've moved into a more like existential philosophical realm of cosmic horror where we're dealing more with like, what does this mean for us? You know, what, what is, what does it mean for us that we are not important? What does it mean for us that there's not meaning? What does it mean for us that we may not even be us? Yeah, yeah, oh, I like that. <laughs> so, in the context then, to, to center what you are saying about Gags the Clown, does Gags the Clown offer any kind of commentary on any of those questions? I mean, I think, um, I, I think it does to an extent, like, just, just in the, like, everyone who is after him is trying to make sense in some way, right? Okay. The newscaster wants to tell her story. The uh-huh. the the talk show host wants to reestablish the status quo. Uh-huh. Um the the kids even they're like emulating him to try and to try and um sort of pull gags into their framework so they can understand him. To sure. some extent, like everybody, everybody is trying to, trying to make a narrative out of this, that will make sense to them, and it never does. Like none yeah. of them, none of them ever get what they want. <laughs> yeah, and I like I'm, I'm mostly, and it could be again, just because that's that's the age group that I teach, but like, the idea that the teenagers want to pull gags the clown and and in some way are effective they they're able to kind of pull him into their world of pop culture right like they that you know film a a series of you know no pun intended gags where they pretend to be him right Right. and they try to like harness this power i think is really interesting because he's clearly freaking the adults out you know he's, he's different and you know whatever and so the teenagers see that initial power and they try to harness it or they try to appropriate it or whatever, you know? And it's only at the what like at the end of the film really, right? Mm-hmm. Where they where they realize that essentially they're gonna turn into everybody else. That the the film I think really takes a bleak and you know, kind of cosmic dread turn, you know? They're like Yeah, absolutely Fuck, man. and yeah, and and that's the first time they are really afraid. Yeah, like, right. Because up until then, like they're they're at least trying not to be afraid of him. Whether whether they're whether they're doing it because they're afraid underneath, and they're trying to like own that fear and control it, or whether they're doing it because they're not afraid and they see the adults being afraid and they want to have that power. You know, whatever the reasons, they don't express fear of him until the very yeah. end. Um, Right, and it and it's seeing the other people, right? right? Yeah, and some of which, if, if you've seen this film, I think a little more recently than I have, but some of them are ultimately their friends, right? Yeah, that get co-opted into, you know, that really wonderfully bizarre and creepy tent revival scene at the end, yeah. where they're like, "Holy fuck! It's not just our parents. It's not just the old people or the weird." you know, right-wing podcaster. It is literally the people right next to me. It's going to be me that, you know. Yeah, and this is not, this is not something I can control. It's not something I can, it's not something I can understand or that I can be disaffected by. Like, it's not something I can, I can be like ironically detached from. (laughs) Right, right. It, it, and dare I take it to its, its logical conclusion then, like it's inevitable right and it's you know once they realize it's inevitable like fucking shit gets yeah. dark yeah you know i mean because like fundamentally um a part, part of what makes gags like as a figure and as a movie so fascinating to me is that like because there's no motive that we're given and there's no meaning behind any of it ever really it makes gags feel inevitable it makes it feel like death, right? Yeah. It makes yeah. it feel like, oh, you know, yeah. it, it is 
it is essentially like this is how absurd life is because what is the point of any of it you're just going to die you're going to do a bunch of stuff and then die yeah and everything you're trying to do and every story you're trying to tell and every accomplishment you want it's absurd yeah well and and (laughs) at least you know death is final right Right. like i I think gags maybe even making (laughs) the the more obtuse uh, argument which is like you know everybody is in service to something else larger unattainable and uncaring right you know which is i think again some great analysis from that uh, article that you wrote like that legatian viewpoint that there is just this kind of I, I could call it like a corporate horror or a corporate <laughs> evil, you know, yeah. but this like, you know, we're all a cog of a machine that does not give a fuck, that does not care, that keeps pumping out black balloons to, right. you know. Yeah, we're, we're all a cog of a machine that doesn't care about us and doesn't, and blah, 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 and doesn't do anything. Yeah. It keeps, it is, keeps doing whatever it does, but that's nothing. It right. just turns it, and turns and turns and produces nothing. Yeah. It, it is self-perpetuating. Right. That's all. That's all. Yeah. You know, like it's in service only to itself and it's only in service to itself in a like unthinking kind right. of way. Yeah. It just, know? it just keeps repeating. It just keeps churning out nothing. It keeps making more of itself. Um, all right. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, uh, we've already rang the spoiler bell. Let's take, uh, we're, we're running a little thin on time. But I want your analysis at the very end of the film. There isn't really a hero in this film, which lends itself to a cosmic horror reading, I think. But uh, probably the closest thing we have is to the newscaster, mm-hmm. who ultimately gets blown up at the end of the film, right? Right. So, what the fuck's up with that? <laughs> so, to me, like... I love that scene. I love that. To me, that that scene was kind of what brought everything home for me. Because um, up until then, Gags' powers, for lack of a better word, are substantial, but not outside the realm of things we've seen in other movies, um, for the most part. Right? Like, he can... He he has these balloons, and people who get the powder from the balloons on them sort of eventually, like turn into his followers essentially right um and they maim themselves to make themselves clowns um which is creepy yeah (laughs) absolutely but like and he can kind of appear and disappear at will and he can generate the circus music and stuff but but it's not wildly outside the realm of physical possibility um and then abruptly that happens like he he lets go of his balloons and the camera pans back to him and he's holding this balloon of her, which he wasn't holding before, like a magic trick. And then she pops instead of the balloon. And it's yeah. just like, it's just like, okay, nope, fuck reality. Like, yeah, right. G- Gags's thematic powers supersede, like, cause and effect. Right? Yeah. And, yeah. Um, and at that point, it's just like, nope, he's functionally God. Like, at that point. Oh yeah, for the for the city of Green Bay, Wisconsin, it, you know, I think that is at the end of the film. That's the argument, you know, like yeah. he's gonna do what he wants. Nobody's gonna give a fuck, and no reading of him, thus this film matters, right? right? Like, because the end is inevitable. So, yeah. might as well get your fucking balloon and <laughs> get down with it. Yeah, and and that's why I think the film is really interesting is there is no larger like he's not a fucking alien uh that has fallen from space that functions like an elder god he's not like uh you know the a real serial killer clown like yeah uh, he's not just a ghost or if he is right that's a hell of a ghost like yeah i don't think he is (laughs) i think they they kind of right Yeah. yeah I mean, and so the he's almost a new, uh, a new type of evil, right? right? Especially to people that that aren't super well versed in cosmic horror. And I yeah. think in that way, the film is 
is offering something new and you don't see that too often you yeah know? yeah and i think and i it's interesting that you brought up that the that you didn't think the filmmakers kind of were thinking about this which i agree they probably weren't like i, I don't think that they were like thinking legati when they wrote this or anything <laughs> um but i think there's like a really there's a really interesting but largely unexamined by at least you know by the by the sort of layperson um vein of cosmic horror that's not immediately recognizable as such that runs through a lot of classic horror films. Oh, okay. Um, it's like, I would argue and have argued that there's, there's, there's cosmic horror in Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Um, there's cosmic horror in Halloween. Uh, I even think there's cosmic horror in Assault on Precinct 13. Um, huh. And, okay. uh, and so like it's, it's small elements, but they're, they're important thematic elements and so as those things became like touchstone pieces for the horror genre as a whole, I think it absorbed this this subtext of of a kind of more contemporary cosmic horror where the universe is this kind of unthinking unfeeling machine that will chew you up. Okay. <laughs> Yeah. And th- that became a sort of a bedrock part of a lot of horror cinema, and so it's there in a lot of movies that otherwise wouldn't have it. And I think I think, I think in this case, like that stratum really came to the surface, but I think it's there in a lot of movies when people didn't intentionally put it in there. I think that is its own separate episode, almost and one that I can't I cannot <laughs> wait to get into because I think it, it could be really really interesting. Um, the only other commentary before we hear from this kid that totally did not get, <laughs> totally did not get this film at all. Uh, the idea that like nature does not give a fuck and it does what it, it wants to and you know, whatever. Uh, there is a subreddit that I ran into the other day when I was bored. Cause that's how I spend most of my days called nature is metal. And it's essentially just like <laughs> the worst part of every national geographic documentary of like where lions bring down gazelles or whatever. <laughs> but, like, I, I feel like that is at least nipping at some of the same corners here. Oh, yeah. You know? Like, yeah. it's just like, this is fucked up, <laughs> you know? Like, it's fucked up and nobody cares. And <laughs> that's that's why it is. So, all right. So this kid um, cares too much. This is our anonymous Amazon user's uh, review of Gags the Clown. Aside from the annoying, uh, annoying, stereotypical, and completely false portrayal of conservatives as nutjobs who, quote, lynch gay people and bomb abortion clinics, the film is way too focused on being funny. First of all, the only gay people being lynched are by Muslims in the Middle East. Woof. Wow. And I can't, yeah, I know. Ugh. And I can't remember the last time an abortion clinic was bombed. Um, May 31st, 2009, uh, the last abortion provider in Kansas, which is right next door to where I live, in the same state that you live in, yep. was actually assassinated gangland style in church of all places. In th- so. th- that'll happen in the town I come from, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so it's, don't it's, don't fucking tell me that this shit. Clearly, ah, not any time recently. So uh, he continues, way to alienate half of your audience who loves horror. Secondly, this trend where all modern horror movies have to be funny needs to die a slow and painful death. That is not very funny. Uh, Gags is yet another shining example of this. It clearly wants to be scary, but then it does over the top comedic comic relief. Uh, and completely deflates any tension that it has built. The jokes weren't particularly funny, and the characters weren't likable. Uh, do yourself a favor and skip this one until horror movies stop trying to be funny and woke, and they start being scary and smart and compelling again. Oof. All right. Yikes. Yeah. There's a lot, um, there's there's a a lot, lot to unpack there. to unpack there. there. Um... <laughs> And first of all, it's not trying very hard to be funny. Like there aren't really any I don't jokes think so in too. this movie. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like people make jokes like wisecracks the way people do in conversation, but like this isn't scream, even. No. Um, no. It, let, it's let alone, not offering meta commentary. Right, let alone an actual horror comedy. This is this is yeah. like this is pretty straight pretty straight faced horror. Like there's about the same amount of jokes in I don't know, you know, like the Blair Witch Project or something as there is in this. 
Yeah. Um, it's just people fucking around every now and then. That's that's the only jokes you ever get. Right. Which, like, I would argue is how people punctuate their own fear and terror oh, on a regular basis. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. Like, you, have, you try um, to take the shit out of a situation so you're yeah. less scared of it. Um, yeah. That's, uh, that's to, to, to undercut the least of the problems with this review. Yeah, right. <laughs> and... Uh, in preparation of this, uh, not to get super political, but I went back and watched, like, I don't know, the last few weeks of Tucker Carlson. <laughs> and, like, he. <laughs> the bottom line is there is real right wing media that sounds like this guy. Right oh, now. absolutely. And what's more, this, this is the thing that's really funny to me, right? Because I see things like this all the time. So this guy is really mad, right? That they, they misportrayed, according to him. Uh, conservatives. There are two conservatives in this entire movie that are that are misportrayed this way, right? Maybe those two guys are just assholes. Yeah. If if you made the same argument and flipped it, right? If if someone came in and said, "Man, the only black guy in this movie is a criminal," that is bad portrayal. This this same person. We'd be like, that's just one person. That character was just a criminal. You're reading too much into it. You're being woke. Yeah, but they're doing, right. They're doing exactly what they're complaining about. They're compla- They're they're highlighting the importance of representation, right? Because they're saying the only conservatives in this movie are, are assholes and nut jobs. So obviously, this movie thinks all conservatives are. We want better representation. That's what they're saying. Yeah. Even though these are the same people who are like, representation is dumb. <laughs> so what you're saying is. <laughs> Anonymous Amazon user is being woke is, by yes. acknowledging yep. he's not woke. Yep, he's, that's he's, some fucking cosmic he's grin being right woke, there. He's being friend. woke about his own representation. <laughs> I love Crimea River it. Anonymous Amazon user. Yeah, you dickhead. Oh my god! <laughs> Sorry, you didn't like it. No, that's. I mean, uh, that's that was that was that was, was a pretty that was, was a pretty rough a, one. There was a whole cocktail of like homophobia and xenophobia and stuff in that that was an impressive yep. amount of bad to cram into one review anonymous amazon user yeah uh, um unfortunately there are a handful of reviews just like this one so here is what uh we will ask you to do here's your call to action okay first and foremost if you like what we're doing here then mosey on over to apple podcasts and give us a five-star review or, or don't, but leave us a review of some kind. <laughs> Tell us what you like and don't like. And then mosey on over to Gags the Clown. And like, if you like the movie, give it a good review and yeah. bury the shit out yeah. of like, you know, the the 12 people that are like, I didn't like that the talk show guy was conservative and they were very mean to him. Or whatever. <laughs> so. As this movie was nice to anyone. Right, right. Gax um, did not give a fuck who you voted for. Yeah, no, and neither did the movie. Like, the movie was, was pretty shit. Like, everyone in the movie was pretty shitty, really. Like, yeah, yeah, th- yeah. There was no there was no one in this movie who got who came away clean. Yeah. No, <laughs> um, I, I 100%, 100% agree with you. Uh, but yeah, definitely, yeah, definitely, you know, go see Gag, go watch Gags. It's on uh, Amazon Prime at the moment, I believe. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting, uh, I think it's worth watching. So yeah, totally, totally. And then uh, go to Facebook and then search up the horror pod class uh, study group and talk to us about what you thought of the yeah, film. You maybe thought. you didn't like it. Maybe you liked it. Maybe there's uh, some other stuff that you think we should have covered. Or maybe I'm reading but, uh, way too much into it. And that's, you know, <laughs> it would yeah. not be the first time. Yeah, no shit. Me either. I get it. My <laughs> wife feels at me for that all the time. Well, I think we have, uh, we have put to bed some of the cosmic dread of Gags the Clown. So, Oren, where can they find more of your stuff out on the internet? I am still and always uh, Oren Gray at Facebook and Twitter and Instagram or at OrenGray.com. Very good. Well, uh, you can find my stuff on Twitter at Ty Unsel. Otherwise, check out all of Signal Horizon Magazine's stuff at Signal Horizon on Twitter and on Facebook and our new Instagram account that we started literally today at Signal Horizon Mag. 
So that's where we'll be posting photos or whatever else it is people post on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> Mostly photos, I think. Yeah, yeah, that sounds, that sounds good. All right, Oren, uh, what are we talking about next time? Uh, unless something changed, I think we're talking about Attack of the Crab Monsters, which is... Attack of the Crab Monsters! Clearly right on the same level of what we're talking about this time. Oh, I cannot wait. This will be another one that uh, I have not seen before, but I cannot wait uh, to dive into Attack of the Crab Monsters. I will have my <laughs> drawn butter and, you know, Old Bay seasoning ready to go. And if anyone listening wants to uh, get a head start and watch it, it is also on Amazon Prime, I believe, and it is like an hour long. I'm not even joking. I think it's exactly an hour long. So Fuck yeah. yeah. I love my 60 minutes. Right. It, yeah. is, it is easy, bite-sized pieces, as it were. Perfect. Well, uh, until we meet again next week... Class dismissed.